Senate. That's good to see you this morning. Can you hear me now? Can you hear it all? All right. Oh, that was actually planned. I want to make sure all of you are awake this morning before I begin my message. So anyway, Jesus spoke these words to us in Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 33. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good. And lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word. We pray, Heavenly Father, this morning as we come to consider what your word has to say about your grace, that we would have our hearts be opened and enlightened by you, that you would guide and direct everything that's spoken here this morning and guide our heart's response to these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this is just one passage of scripture this morning that relates to something that I've actually been thinking quite a bit about over the last several weeks. Think with me a moment as I give you this list. What do these things that I'm going to list here this morning have in common? Smartphones, beautiful mountain scenery, the COVID vaccine, wonderful children or grandchildren, heat in the winter, air conditioning in the summer, automobiles, nice neighbors, good food, an amazing sunrise or sunset, a roof over our heads, nice clothes to wear. Actually, the list could be a lot longer, but these examples are sufficient for our purposes this morning. And at first glance, it might be a little difficult to figure out what these things have in common. Smartphones and good food, those seem like two very different things. A roof over our heads, automobiles. Now, I'm sure some of you are thinking that these things are blessings from God. And of course, that's true. But it's more than that, and it leads me to the theme I want to consider this morning. These are examples of God's common grace. Now here's a phrase that you may not have heard much before. We hear grace all the time, right? It's what we live in. It's what we breathe. But here's one definition of common grace. Common grace as an expression of the goodness of God is every favor falling short of salvation which this undeserving and sin-cursed world enjoys at the hand of God. This includes the delay of wrath, the mitigation of our sin natures, natural events that lead to prosperity, and all gifts that humans use and enjoy naturally. In other words, these good things in our lives, the list that I just read and many more things that we didn't cite, are not restricted to those of us who are in Christ, not just for us Christians. Unbelievers can and do enjoy these things as well. These good things haven't been created by God or developed by Christians or for Christians alone to enjoy. Now sometimes believers are in fact the ones who invent or develop important things for the betterment of our lives. When we see Christians in science or technology or medicine, 
their intent as believers is to discover the way that God made things and use those discoveries for our good and for His glory. And that's a good thing. Man has simply replicated or learned to use what God has already made in His sovereign creation. An example of this, we might not think of something like this, is Velcro. Did you know that in 1948, Swiss engineer and amateur mountaineer George Demestral went hiking in the woods with his dog, and when he got back home, he noticed that there were burrs clinging to his clothes. Been there, done that? You know, you hiked in the woods and these burrs were clinging to your clothes, and he wondered if such an idea could be useful in commercial application. And he studied the burr under a microscope, only to discover that they were covered in tiny hooks, which allowed them to grab onto clothes and fur that... uh, brushed by in passing. After more than eight years of research and work, he created what's known today as Velcro, a combination of the words velvet and crochet. But he learned that from looking at what God had created. God has supplied us with the means through which we can imitate his creative ways to better our lives. We as his creatures don't ever truly create as God creates. God creates Ex nihilo, out of nothing, right? But we just discover what God has made possible, and we do that by His common grace. It's not just Christians that discover these things. Unbelievers do as well. Even unbelievers, by God's common grace, have been given the knowledge and understanding to develop things, like the COVID vaccine and other medical advancements. How about indoor plumbing? Aren't we thankful for that? Flush toilets? Yeah? computers and televisions and transportation, and everyone, believer and unbeliever alike, gets to enjoy the benefits of these things. People who benefit from the COVID vaccine won't be distinguished by whether or not they are Christians, whether they're saved or unsaved. God's created our amazing immune system. It's a gift of His common grace, and He's allowed scientists to discover how it works and how to put that to work for us. This is God's common grace. It's not common because it's ordinary. Because sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's extraordinary. But it's common because it's common to all of us. Everyone benefits. We see this in several passages of Scripture. I'm going to highlight just a few. We saw saw it at the end of Luke 6.35, which we read a moment ago, when it said, He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. We see it in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, where it says, For He makes His sun rise on the evil and on the good, and send rains on the just and on the unjust. So what we see here is that rain is a blessing. Farmers, gardeners need it, right? Our trees and our lawns need it. Both Christian and non-Christian farmers, both Christian and non-Christian citizens, enjoy God's common grace in rain. We see it in Psalm chapter, I'm sorry, we went back up here because I want to have those other scriptures there. We see it in Psalm 145, verse 9. The Lord is good to all and His mercy is over all that He has made. We see it in Acts chapter 14, beginning with verse 16. In past generations, He allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet He did not leave Himself without witness, for He did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. So we see here that though God allowed people to go their own way, to do their own thing, basically to ignore Him, 
what did he do? He nevertheless, nevertheless spoke about himself. That's what it means when it says he witnessed. He, uh, it, when it says he didn't leave himself without witness. By giving rain and fruitful seasons and providing food and even joy. We see God's common grace in more verses like James 1.17. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. It doesn't say every good and every perfect gift for Christians. It says every good and every perfect gift. That means anything that anybody can use and enjoy and appreciate. We see in John chapter 3, verse 27, where uh, John the Baptist says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. So this is just a sampling of scriptures that illustrates what theologians call common grace. It's available for any unbeliever to enjoy this beautiful scene just as much as me, a believer in Christ. So common grace isn't a uh, phrase that you're going to find in Scripture. But it is a theme you'll find in many passages, as we've just seen. The adjective common doesn't appear in the Bible as a modifier of the noun grace, but we can use it to illustrate how God deals with non-Christian people in our world. It's grace, undeserved good things, things we didn't earn or invent for everybody. In other words, it's common to all. But when we as Christians think of grace, what do we usually think of? We usually think in terms of salvation, don't we? Uh, Or we think of emotional or spiritual strength in verses like this. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, so that no one can boast. Or we think of Paul's many grace greetings in in the beginning of his epistles. He said, grace and peace to you. We see that in almost every epistle that Paul wrote. When he asked God uh, to remove the thorn in his flesh, we think of God's word to the apostle Paul. God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. It's enough for you. We think of grace as our means of salvation or our source of strength or our source of peace in this life. And of course, it is all these things. It is that too. This, we're just beginning to unpack what grace is and what it can be. But this kind of grace that we just talked about for salvation, for peace, for strength, that's for believers. That's for believers. Common grace is not saving grace, but it is meant to point everyone to the source of saving grace. That's true for unbelievers. And you know, it's also true for those of us who are in Christ. So for unbelievers, common grace is meant to open their eyes to the goodness of God. We see in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, where Paul wrote, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? His kindness, His common grace in all these kinds of things that we mentioned just a moment ago are designed to direct unbelievers to God. Romans 1, you'll learn more about this tonight when Jim begins Romans uh, study in the Sunday night seminar. But Romans 1, beginning with verse 20, says, For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. 
For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So what we see here is for unbelievers to persistently see God's hand at work in His gifts of common grace, and not honor God as God. In other words, not honor Him as the Creator and the Giver of all these good things, and not give thanks to Him, causes a downward spiral in their hearts and in their thinking. Not honoring God as God, as the Creator and Giver of all good gifts. Their thinking becomes futile. It's worthless thinking. Their hearts are darkened thinking that serves no useful purpose. It's completely ineffective rather than be enlightened by these wonderful gifts that they enjoy. They think they are wise, but they become fools, Paul tells us. One of the ways their thinking is futile is that they take credit explicitly or implicitly for their contribution to what the world might enjoy. Think about this, the prideful ego of an inventor of some technology or maybe some medical treatment is an example, an illustration of thinking they're wise. What's more, they begin to worship themselves and their own desires. And thus they don't glorify God for these things. We see this so clearly in our world today, don't we? People worship their own desires and they develop this, what we've called before radical autonomy, this self-willfulness, I will do what I want to do, and I will be who I want to be, regardless of what God or anyone else has to say about it. Paul wrote to the Romans that these good things of God's common grace can be clearly seen so that people are without excuse when they don't honor God as God. That's a scary thing. But, you know, we can't really stop there in our look at God's common grace. Let's not use this reality that we just looked at in Romans as another reason to lament those poor sinners out there without also examining how common grace applies to us as believers. Because, again, believers and unbelievers both get to enjoy the blessings and the gifts of God's common grace. When Paul wrote... Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. We know He was talking about Jesus, and we know He was talking about His saving grace toward us. We know that when Jesus told us that God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil, He was also instructing us about what this reality of common grace should mean to those of us who follow Him. Let's read that passage we read at the outset here from Luke chapter 6. Let's read that with this idea in mind. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good. And lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. So, what do we see here? We see God is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. That's His common grace. What does that mean for us? 
we should be kind to the ungrateful and evil. Common grace says that even sinners can do good. We see that in this passage as well. Sinners can do good things too. But we're called to a higher calling because in the gift of the saving grace that we have received when we are in Christ, this means we love our enemies and not just those on quote-unquote our side. Do good and expect nothing in return. Be merciful as our Father God is merciful. In other words, if even unbelievers here, and what does Jesus call the unbelievers here? He calls them ungrateful and evil. If even they can do good, okay, shouldn't we be doing so much more? Why? Because we too experience God's common grace, but we also experience His sanctifying and His saving grace because we are believers in Christ. Because of that tremendous truth, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, daily changing us into the image and likeness of Christ. Matthew Henry, one of my favorite commentators, wrote this, It's the glory of God that He is kind to the unthankful and to the evil, bestows the gifts of common providence even upon the worst of men who are every day provoking Him and rebelling against Him and using those very gifts to his dishonor. This should strongly engage us to be merciful to our brethren, even such as have been injurious to us, not only that God is so to others, but that he is so to us. Though we have been and are evil and unthankful, it is of his mercies that we are not consumed. So we believers, along with the world, benefit from God's common grace in so many ways even with the national and political and racial unrest, even in COVID world, common grace is abundant. Do you think the world is as bad as it could get? Many of us kind of thought that this last week. It was a tough week, wasn't it? But you know what? Not even close. Not even close. Not even close to as bad as it could get. Why is that? One of the primary benefits of God's common grace is that He uses this grace to exert a restraining influence on human depravity and human sin. Of course, God doesn't restrain all sin. That's easy to see, isn't it? Just watch, read the news, watch your neighbors, or look inside yourself. And we can see that clearly. However, if God didn't restrain, think about this, if God didn't restrain our worst sinful impulses, life on this planet would be impossible. Can you imagine that? It would be the worst dystopian movie you could find. Have you watched some dystopian movies where the world's just gone to hell completely? It would be way worse than that. Way worse than that. It's scary to think of what Jim Garrett described in a sermon once as God removing his hand and letting us experience the absolute worst of our sinful instincts. So restraint of sin is a part of God's common grace. And it's called grace, just like saving grace is called grace, because no one deserves it. It's an expression of God's mercy to those who deserve judgment, just like we deserve judgment. And that includes all of us who've been redeemed in Christ. Both His saving grace toward us believers and His common grace toward all benefit from the mercy of God in His common grace. So even as we note that because of common grace, 
that the world is not nearly as bad as it could be and in fact would be, we have to also recognize that some things are so much better than they need to be because of common grace. Think about this. Think of food, okay? We need food, right? We need food to stay alive. We could be like the animals who just eat to sustain their physical bodies. In other words, God didn't need to create food that tasted good. But thank God that He does. huh? There's a lot of foods we enjoy. Now, when the lion is eating the wildebeest he just chased down and killed for dinner, do you think he wonders how it tastes? Do you think he wonders whether he likes how it tastes? Do you think he says, hey, you know, let's have antelope tonight. Antelope tastes a little bit better. No, the lion hunts and kills and eats completely on instinct to keep himself alive. Because of God's common grace to his highest creation, people, we not only have food that sustains us, but food we can enjoy eating. That's a gift of his common grace. And you don't have to be a believer to have food you enjoy. I see a lot of people who are unbelievers who really enjoy their food. Grilled wildebeest, anyone? Or how about this? How about sex? Animals mate to reproduce, period. It's instinct, totally. And they instinctually know when it's time to mate for the best chance of passing on their genes to their offspring because that's what it's about. It's about reproduction. But God gave humans the gift of sexual relations certainly for the purpose of being fruitful and multiplying, certainly for having children. But he also made it enjoyable. Think about this. He didn't have to. He didn't have to. He could have made us like animals, mating on instinct for the sole purpose of reproduction of the species, but he didn't. People can enjoy sexual relations regardless of of whether or not they have or already have or never can or never want to have children. Now, the fact that so many abuse this gift outside the Uh, God-given boundary of marriage doesn't change the fact that enjoyment of sex is a gift of God's common grace. The truth is a lot of God's common grace gifts are abused, let alone unappreciated for what they are. We all benefit from the gifts, from the talents, from the aptitudes of God's common grace exhibited toward believer and unbeliever alike. When we see or enjoy a man-made creation, even if, for example, it's music by an unbeliever, even if it's a TV program produced by a pagan, or a movie produced by someone who isn't a Christian, we're seeing God's common grace. Even when we can't affirm everything that a believer or, or an unbeliever says or produces, we can appreciate the parts of what that person has created that conform with the beauty of God and His character. Why? Because it's a gift of His common grace. When a TV show creates drama that affirms self-sacrifice, it points us to the One who sacrificed Himself for us. When a movie highlights compassion for our fellow human beings, we're witnessing the common grace given by the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. When a song or a movie celebrates marital love, we're remembering the oneness of Christ and His church. When a book shows the power of adoption, 
we see an example of the reality in Christ that we are adopted into the family of God. When a piece of art, a painting, or a photograph, or a sculpture is beautiful, we see God's common grace at work here in creating beautiful things for us to enjoy. When we see wisdom in a, maybe a newspaper editorial or an article we read, even when it's displayed by an atheist, we can see the heartbeat of the source of all wisdom and knowledge. When we see our neighbor's love for their children, believer or unbeliever, we remember our loving Heavenly Father and that we who are in Christ have been given the right to be called His children. When we see a soldier sacrificing his life for his country, we see a reflection of Jesus who gave Himself for us. When we see a faithful employee working hard to benefit his employer and earn his paycheck, we see God's incredible faithfulness to us to never leave us or forsake us. When we see someone let you go ahead of them in the checkout line because he has a bunch of stuff and you just have a few things, we see the Lord Jesus who emptied Himself of His privileges as God and came to earth to live as one of us. When we see a staff at a nursing home clean bedpans or change adult diapers, we can remember Jesus who washed his disciples' feet. These are all just hints. They're all just glimpses. They're illustrations of God's common grace at work because both believers and unbelievers alike can be found doing these kinds of things. Hopefully, we see these kinds of things even more in the lives of believers, those of us who are in Christ. But wherever we see examples of mercy or truth or creativity or diligence and perseverance or other godly virtues, these common graces common to believers and unbelievers alike are designed by God to cause us to seek Him and to glorify Him. There's a chapter in a great book by David Murray that I read recently. The book's called The Happy Christian. And it had a whole chapter on common grace and how these realities help us develop joy in our hearts. David Murray writes this, If we shut out common grace, we're also shutting down worship and joy. Because the more we recognize God's common grace, the more we will worship God and the more joy we will have in our lives. It will change the way we look at everyone and every place. Instead of just looking for evidence of sin, usually not hard to find, we will also look for evidence of God's work and rejoice in it. We will be less suspicious and cynical, more open to beauty, and more enthusiastic to praise. We will appreciate God and His works. If we focus only on the sin and the lostness of people, we miss a chance to worship God for His grace at work in our own lives. And sometimes, ironically, That grace is through those same sinful and lost people. And here's an interesting phenomenon that you may have noticed. God sometimes gives more of His common grace to unbelievers than He does to believers who have experienced His special grace. That's why we sometimes find unbelievers who are kinder and nicer people than some Christians. But when that's true, God's acts of kindness, His common grace toward them, are motivated by a desire to do them good, to demonstrate His goodness, and to draw them to Himself. 
when we who are in Christ obey his commands and love our enemies, not only by not harming them, but also by doing good to them, we are following the model of Jesus. We love them by blessing them, praying for them, doing good things for them. In this way, we are participating in expanding God's common grace toward them and acting as his servants to help draw them to himself. We mentioned earlier that common grace isn't saving grace, and that's true, but you can't separate these two kinds of grace entirely. They are inextricably connected to one another. They're both undeserved, as we recognize. They're both a gift of God. But common grace for the believer should lead to worship and gratitude. Common grace in the life of an unbeliever is given by God to lead people to God, to seek Him, to seek His special saving grace. He gives so much common grace that there's no excuse for not seeking saving grace. That was made clear in the verse we, verses we read from Romans 1, especially verse 20, which says, For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. And again, what Paul wrote a chapter later in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, we read this a moment ago, I'll read it again. Do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So think about this. One of the most powerful tools in our evangelistic arsenal is the goodness of God, illustrated by His common grace. We haven't even begun to tap examples. How about the fact that the earth spins at just the right rate that we don't go flying off into space? How about the fact that the earth is positioned exactly where it needs to be in relation to the sun, that we have the kind of atmosphere and the kind of temperature we have that promotes life. We could go on and on and on. These things are gifts of God's common grace. Everybody enjoys them. Everybody benefits from them. So by highlighting God's mercy and His goodness, illustrating His common grace, we can encourage sinners to seek even more mercy. So common grace all by itself doesn't save but it does point to the one who does save. One of the things that's clearly part of God's common grace is beauty. We highlighted that just a moment ago. God created beauty of all kinds, and we get to enjoy it, believer and unbeliever alike. And like common grace of other kinds, like the many we've mentioned, all created beauty should also lead us as believers to thank God to honor Him as God the Creator, and to worship Him. Now, we're going to look more at the idea of enjoying God's common grace in the beauty He has created in part two of this message next week. But a clear connecting point between the God of grace and beauty is what both grace and beauty are designed to expand in us as believers in Him, and that's glorifying Him. That's what it's all about. That's, about, that's what His common grace is all about. That's all His beauty is about. It's about glorifying Him, leading us to glorify Him. So I think we're going to end there today with a couple more verses for you to think about as we go. 1 Peter 2.12 says, Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles 
so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God. There it is on the day he visits. In Revelation chapter 15, verse 4, Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Heavenly Father, we are a grateful people. And Father, we pray that uh, seeing your common grace at work in our lives as well as the lives of unbelievers would only serve to make us more grateful. And as we are grateful, we would worship you and we would glorify you. Help us to ponder these things, work them deeply into our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.